stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, to Evidence for Faith. This is the Christian Evidences and Worldview Radio program that helps Christians become thinkers and thinkers become Christians. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And I am Keith Kendricks. Keith, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Good to see you. I'm sorry about uh, the recent passing of your mom. Yeah, that was sad. It was expected, though, So, um, and she was spiritually prepared. Um, so, you know, I'll be going off uh, late uh, this week to go to the funeral and things, but um, all in all, I guess I it's as good as something like this can go. Well, give uh, give your brothers and sisters hugs uh, from me we'll and do. my wife. We'll do. Today, Keith, we do have a, a great show. Uh, I'm actually very excited about this, and today we're going to be talking about how absurd would life be if God didn't exist. How absurd would that be? Right. And this is something that's been looked at over the ages, really starting with the Enlightenment, which I find very peculiar to call the Enlightenment of the uh, 1700s, starting with uh, Voltaire and others, who basically uh, tried to um, kill God. Right. With rational reasoning, thought, and writings, and so forth. And it turned out to produce an absurd lifestyle and an absurd you, way of living when you look at the fruits of their writing and yeah. the societal changes that have happened not only in Europe but now the United States with the postmodernist era uh, you can I mean turn on the evening news at night and you see what happens uh, in the face of no morality and no uh, no godly influences on people growing up right well we before we get into that though I have an email question so if somebody sent us an email question. I didn't tell you about this because I wanted to get your your uh, uh, unprepared remarks. Go ahead. Let's, let's try it. All right. Uh, the question says, let's see, do you accept the historical development, parenthesis, over 400 years of the current Bible, New Testament at least, and the quote, historical development of Christianity with many sects rising and falling in the first 500 years. Okay, uh, bounce that off me one more time. Do you accept the historical development over 400 years of the current Bible and the historical development of Christianity with many sects rising and falling during the first 500 years? Well, I, I find the term the current Bible peculiar. Yeah. <laughs> because there is so, one one writing, uh, the original documents, that can be traced back to 20 to 50 years after Christ actually walked the planet. Of course, that would be the New Testament writings. So I'm not sure what the current Bible means, unless they're alluding to the King James Version and other versions that we now have, like the uh, NIV or the New American Standard, and, and the list goes on and on. No, I think they're talking more about the things like the Gospel of Thomas and other Gnostic writings that are not accepted as canonical. Okay. And so uh, this is often thrown up uh, at people as 
as an excuse for, look, you, you can't trust the Bible. It's just one of many things. And some church authorities 400 years later decided that this is our Bible, and they left out the parts that they just personally didn't like. So that's I think that's what this is alluding to. Okay. So it's a it's a knock at Christianity because, you know, you guys are just the surviving cult, the surviving branch of Christianity. There was in early Christianity there were all these divided points of view and it's perfectly reasonable to go back to one of those things. So the, you know, we've covered this in past shows with how the New Testament developed and uh, you know, this is really a mistaken view. Uh, you know, Gnosticism didn't come along until Christianity was already very successful, and in order to compete with Christianity, they started um, trying to match it and develop their own Gospels mm. so that they could uh, keep their adherents uh, from transitioning over and becoming Christians. Okay. I would like to remind everyone that you can actually access previous files of shows that we've done, specifically the uh, the canon uh, by going to evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence for the number four, faith.com. And if you scroll through the, uh, the index, you'll see the, uh, the show on New Testament canon. And um, what Keith and I are alluding to is everything that what makes up today's canon and what's accepted by uh, the authorities on uh, the early church documents as to what withstood the, uh, the, the, the test of time right. and also the veracity of the writings and how they integrate as a whole. And you can also find our speaking engagements. So, and I currently have a speaking engagement on Wednesday nights. So, if you'd like to come out to Bible uh, or Victory Bible Church in Hamilton, it's at 816 South Egg Harbor Road, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. It's a time of prayer and then a lesson uh, after the prayer. And right now we're going over the evidences that God exists, and we just finished the fine-tuning of the universe last Wednesday, and we're going to be going over intelligent design this Wednesday. So if you'd be interested in learning about intelligent design, come on out Wednesday, this Wednesday at 7 p.m. to Victory Bible Church in Hamilton. To our listening audience, I would like to remind you that this is an interactive program. You can call us at 609-398-1020 as we explore today's topic, the absurdity of life without God. So if you are either an agnostic, if you're searching, if you're a bona fide atheist, uh, this is a show that's going to explore the question, what is it about life with God versus life without God and the worldview that you develop and the lifestyle that you live? We're going to be exploring all of that, so write that number down, 398-1020. And I've got just one last personal thing. I ha had a wonderful time last night. I met a very interesting person. There's a—well, used to be, at least I used to listen to it all the time, a radio program, a pastor from the Presbyterian Church at Wayne, uh, New Jersey, uh, Wayne uh, Pennsylvania— uh, by the name of John Galloway Jr., and when I would, uh, the alarm would go off, it would come on to the station, and I'd always listen to him in the morning. I found him fascinating and uh, used to listen to his preaching every Sunday morning when I was waking up and getting ready for church myself. I got to sit next to him last night. Did you get his autograph? I, you know, I wanted to, really. I mean, I just told him, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Oh, just talk some more. I like hearing your voice, you know, things like that. 
it was great. So I was at the 153rd um, Academy of Music Ball, and uh, he just was placed at our table. So it was one of those God things. So I said, ooh, now I do a radio show. (laughs) So he's retired now, and uh, it was fun sitting next to him. And we got to listen to the concert uh, before the ball was a sting backed up by the Philadelphia Orchestra. So 100 pieces of orchestra behind Sting. It was pretty good. He played all his hits. So oh, so I'm sorry that my wife and I missed that. We yeah. usually go with you yeah, to I that, know. Uh, that I know. gala event. And of course, it's next a, uh, year. It is a fundraiser for the Philadelphia Orchestra, and um, it's a white tie affair. Very nice. Uh, dinner is included for the uh, price of admission. And uh, we do plan on being there next year. Well, let's get started with the absurdity of atheism. You know, you can argue that uh, atheism itself is irrational because it posits, it says, I know God doesn't exist, right? Well, saying I know God doesn't exist is a a universal negative. So right there, that is an irrational statement. It's irrational to posit something that you could never know because you can never know whether a universal negative is true or not. So right there, you've got a problem. But what we want to look at today is the problem that comes from trying to make this your lifestyle, trying to use atheism as a way to build a life. And there's a quote from uh, anthropologist Lauren Isley, uh, where he says, Man is the only creature to ask why to questions regarding his existence. And, you know, that really is true. We do ask that question. We do want to know how we got here. Who am I? Yeah. Why am I here? Right. What purpose purpose? do I have in life? Sure. Right. Sure. These are major, major philosophical questions that have teased man since he had a uh, a rational thought process. Right. And the odd thing, and and we already brought this up at the uh, introduction to the show, is that a lot of this... Um, belief in God was actually attacked by the writers of the Enlightenment, right? Starting with uh, the French, really around the time of the French Revolution, mm-hmm. uh, with Voltaire and Rousseau and so forth. All of the uh, philosophers since them who have attacked God, and and I, I really feel that the attack was brought on because of the inherent corruption of the theocracy of the day and how the church was so totally tied to the political system, especially in France, and and everybody realized how corrupt the whole monarchy was and how corrupt the church was and and the power and the money and and the struggle there. So once the French Revolution happened, and of course the Enlightenment enlightenment was already underway, Mm -hmm. it only stood to reason that they would attack God because the entire system was corrupt. Right, yep. And their their, um, ideas, their concepts... Um, developed and showed that, you know, man really is a byproduct of nature. Mm -hmm. If there's no supernatural, you only have nature. So man is just a product of the stuff in the universe, you know, mass energy. That's all we are. You know, it's really interesting, Keith, if you look at the timeline from the Enlightenment on late 1700s, you fast forward about 70 years, you come to Charles Darwin in 1859 mm-hmm. on the origin of the species, and this only solidified their yep. stance that man was an accidental byproduct of nature, of matter, plus time, 
and chance. Right. The chance factor had to be thrown in there. So it was nature plus time plus chance. That makes us an accidental byproduct. This this glorious human body with the capacity to rationally think and write and, and read and teach now became a function of chance. Yep. So this answer to our existence really turns out to be a very dark and terrible thing, very disturbing. So instead, you know, the Enlightenment thinkers, I think, thought that they were going to somehow free themselves from God. They were going to free themselves from the control of the church and other things. But they wound up being orphaned instead. Without God, now you're just an orphan. And you have this really awful uh, view of your existence, that you're just nothing but an accident. Wow. It's, it is. It's sad. Uh, and basically, here you are, man alone in the universe, doomed to die. Yeah. Because they knew that the universe was going to be this, this dark, gloomy thing where all the stars would eventually burn out. The earth would burn up or disappear or totally go bye-bye with uh, climate change. And everybody was doomed to die. And every star was doomed to die. And the universe was getting darker and colder with each of these passing many deaths. Yeah. There's a an existentialist by the name of Paul Tillich who says that, you know, mankind has got to come face to face with the threat of non-being, the fact that we're just going to be extinct. Not only each individual person, but the entire human race. Eventually everything in the universe we're all going to be nothing. We're all going to be dead. And you know, this can be you know, for some people, very staggering, very overwhelming thought that there is going to be nothing, nothing of me left over, nothing of the human race, nothing of the universe left mm. over. Yeah, another existentialist, Jean-Paul Sartre, said that if, when you're looking at the timeline of eternity, okay, it doesn't matter whether or not you have any foundational belief in God, whether whether you're several hours from that or many, many years without God, it really doesn't matter because... During that timeline, this march to eternity, uh, the universe continues to march despite what you think and what you feel and what you do to this to this grave. Mm-hmm. So it's irretrievably, irretrievably marching towards this grave, uh, so eternity really doesn't matter. But you know what's interesting, Keith? What? He's actually talking about entropy here, you know, right. the second law of thermodynamics, this, this, this inexorable march to nothingness mm-hmm. or... or grave, the grave, Mm -hmm. just uh, things winding down. Uh, But there's no escape and there's no hope from this this, this mind process, this uh, philosophical viewpoint. Well, if you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith, and we are talking about the consequences of atheism. You know, one thing is that life itself just becomes ultimately absurd, because since everything is going to die, everything came from an accident and it's all going to die, there is no ultimate meaning in life. There's not any, there's also no ultimate value in life and no ultimate purpose in life. And if, if you agree with this, you can give us a call. Remember, this is an interactive show. You can call us at 398-1020 and share your thoughts. But anyway, so what what's the big deal? If we have no ultimate meaning without the immortality and God, what does it all mean? Right. What, what happens? What happens to society? What happens to individuals? 
Well, let's, uh, we have a caller, so let's uh, see what this person's got to say. Go ahead. Hi. Hello. Um, I heard you talking about the atheism, and I used to be an atheist. Mm-hmm. And um, I felt exactly what you're talking about, like those two philosophers, that it was totally pointless, and what was the point of life. And uh, it's not a fun way to live. So now you're a Christian now? Yes. Actually, I had a friend who um, was a Christian, and she didn't know that I was feeling this way, I, and she wasn't, like, trying to convince me to be a Christian. She just was living her life as a Christian, and I saw how she was living her life and that, you know, she had meaning and purpose, and she was trying to be a good person. And, um, you know, I, I, was, I just wanted that because I knew... Even, like, nobody around me would know that I was, like, depressed or I wasn't, like, this person that couldn't get out of bed in the morning because I was an atheist. Mm. But it was, like, underneath, you know, I lived my life, but underneath, I just was, like, what's the point? There's no point here. And um, just seeing her live in her life and the difference was enough to convince me that I didn't want to live the way I was living. Mm. Wonderful. Very powerful. Yeah. And how many years ago was that? Uh, 1983. No, 1982. Okay, and since that time, what have you found as far as your meaning, uh, the meaning of life, and so forth? Well, once, um, once I just called out to God and asked Him to come into my life, He became the meaning of my life. I mean, that's why I live now for Him, and to tell other people about Him, because I don't want other people who are in this same situation to feel the way I felt. Mm. So... And, you know, not only that, once you become a Christian and you believe in Jesus and you believe that you're going to live eternally with Him, um, and you believe that if you don't believe in Him, you're, not, you're going to be in hell, you know, you don't want people to have that. So it, turns, it turned my whole life around. So you basically went from darkness into light. Yes. That's interesting, because that's uh, exactly what the Enlightenment was trying to undo, and they called it the Enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And it brought darkness. Yep. Thank you very much, caller. That was Thank wonderful. You. And you know, you know what I find very interesting, Keith. If mm. you look at John chapter three, uh, where where Jesus was given up by God as the only begotten Son mm-hmm. for the world, and if you look at John, that's of course John three sixteen. If you look at John three seventeen, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Okay? Absolutely. But men loved darkness. If you keep reading to the conclusion of that chapter, uh-huh. it's all about light and dark. Men love darkness. Consequently, they didn't want to come into the light. Consequently, they didn't believe in the only begotten Son. Right. And consequently, they were condemned already. Right. It's there, folks. Just read chapter 3 in John, John chapter 3 in the Bible. All right. So there's no ultimate meaning uh, without God. Uh, if each individual, like we said, is going to die... He's going to pass out of existence. There's no soul. There's nothing left. Um, Really, what ultimate meaning is there to that person's life? Does it really matter that that person lived at all? You know, these are all questions that atheists have to ask. Well, they think we have to ask it of ourselves, too, that there's no uh, meaning to life at all. Yeah, and, so, it, and it doesn't matter if they if they lived well or if they lived poorly. And I don't mean um, materialistically. I'm talking about morally. Did they live well? Did they run a good race? 
it doesn't really matter ultimately. Right. That's right. Without God, it doesn't matter. So, so if all events are meaningless, then what's the ultimate meaning of any of it, right? You can say, well, there's relative meaning by what I particularly do. You know, I do my job, I'm a, um, a police officer, and so I do my job the best I can, and that gives me meaning. But if it's all going to disappear at the end of the universe— then it ultimately, see, ultimately it has no meaning. It might have a kind of a sort of meaning for you today, but it's not. it doesn't have any ultimate significance. Let, let me take your police officer one step further, Keith. He's doing a great job, and he's a public servant. Mm-hmm. But then something tragic happens in that, let's say, he's in the line of fire, and he, he allows his life to be taken, let's say, because he blocks a bullet from hitting an innocent bystander. Mm-hmm. Well... What difference would it make anyway? Right, that bystander's going to die anyways. Yeah, so right. what difference would it make for him to, to do something so so gracious and, and honorable? Uh-huh. It wouldn't matter yeah, in the it, long run. Here's another way of thinking about it. What if the Big Bang never happened? What if the universe never started at all? Okay, well, if we're all doomed to die anyways, what difference would it make? It would be the same thing. It's just as if there was no universe, no Big Bang, no universe, no accidental people on Earth. And that we never existed at all in the first place. Exactly. The same same end, same end result. So, so the logical conclusion of, of this philosophy or this mindset or this enlightenment is gloomy. It's dark. Right. Yeah, mankind is a doomed race on a dying universe. You know, mm. we're going to cease to exist and ultimately, mankind makes no difference to the universe. What does the universe care about mankind? Mankind is like some kind of accidental parasite. Right. You know? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because if you're a thinker and you carry this whole argument that God doesn't exist anyway, uh, I am a, a confirmed atheist, and uh, I, I, I'm just into my job, and I'm into this intellectualism, mm-hmm. but you can't help but to go through this logical conclusion and the horror that really confronts modern man, because he ends up in nothing, and he ultimately is nothing, and uh, and it's not just because of this lack of immoral, uh, immortality. Okay. It's, it's a function of, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It just yeah. doesn't matter. Right, yeah. You could say, oh, well, maybe... Uh, immortality, maybe living forever, you know. Maybe it's because we're going to die that we don't have meaning, but that's not really true. There's, um, uh, William Lane Craig tells a story of, about an astronaut who gets trapped on an asteroid, and he realized he's stuck there, and no one's ever going to come and rescue him or find him. So now he happens to have two vials with him. He has one vial, which will give him immortality, and he'll never die. The other vial is poison. Now, he's stuck with the dilemma, what should he do? No one's ever going to find him. He's stuck on an astronaut, uh, asteroid. He can never do anything. He elects to take the poison. So he drinks the poison, just get it over with. And to his horror, he realizes that he drank the wrong vial. And that he's going to live forever For, on this asteroid. Yeah. And he is horrified. Horrified, right. So it's not the fact, it's not the mere fact that we're going to die that makes life meaningless in the atheistic worldview. 
it's that there's no God. Mm. And without God, there's lack of meaning. Right. You know, there, there are a couple of really good literary examples, too, Keith. Uh, if you want to, we can explore some of them. Mm-hmm. One of them is uh, Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot. And basically, mm-hmm. this is a play of two people on a stage who carry on this 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 rather meaningless and insignificant dialogue mm-hmm. for two hours while they're waiting for this third party Godot to arrive. Right, and Godot, a... and Godot never arrives. Uh huh. And so the and curtain it's... drops, and you're you're left looking at each other. You know, whoever you went with, saying, "What the heck was that all about?" And basically, it's a microcosm of your existence, just passing when... time away. With no end in sight and and really no relative meaning to any of it, right? It's and just Godot tri- is a play on words for God, right? Exactly. Yeah, and God never comes because God doesn't exist. Mm. Yep. So um, also other literary things have dealt with this. You've got Sartre's No Exit, uh, Albert Camus' The Stranger, mm. uh, Jacques Monet's Chance and Necessity. Many, many people have dealt with this issue that if there is no God, then it's really true. There is no ultimate meaning in life. Right. So, a very sad thing. Yeah, and I'm sure that many of you remember Albert Camus' L'Etranger, that's uh, uh, the French writer for The Stranger. Uh, he basically <clears throat> documents this life of an individual who has absolutely no meaning, and at the end of his life, his life ends not with a bang— but with a whimper, mm-hmm. and it's uh, one of the one of the uh, texts that we all all required at least when I was in high school to read, and we had to read it in French class. Wow! So, well, it's not just that there's no uh, meaning in life, but there's also no ultimate value in life without God. If everything ends at the grave, then ultimately it also makes no difference how one lives. So it's not just that there's no meaning to your life, but there's no. It makes no difference how one lives. You know, our our destiny is unrelated to our behavior. No matter how you behave, you're going to wind up with the same destiny. Mm. So why not live as you please? Mm. This is an obvious conclusion of of atheism. You know, it's it's interesting. Live as you please. It reminds me of the old beer commercial. Uh, go for the gusto, because you only go around once in this life. Yeah. Go for the gusto. So the problem that we have is that without God, there's no objective standard for right and wrong or for living well or for living poorly, because in the end, there's no judgment. You can do whatever you please. If it feels good, do it. That was the battle cry of the 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, Sartre talked about the moral values uh, were either a byproduct of personal taste or a socio-biological evolutionary byproduct. Right. So that, That's all that morality is. Correct. So the moral relativism was born there. You know, what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. Right. So what's true for you is true for you and, and so forth. And consequently, you have no—there's no right and wrong. It's just all gray areas. Now, many uh, atheists do try to say that they can have moral values without God. In fact, uh, I remember— uh, walking down the streets of New York City with a uh, affirmed uh, Muslim uh, and discussing, I was looking for a common area to discuss, and one of the things that we have in common with Muslims is the belief in God and that this is what gives us our basis for morality. And so we were just discussing how in atheism there 
is no basis for morality. And we were, you know, it's a crowded New York street. It was the time when people are letting out from restaurants and going to the theater. And this woman who was walking along in front of us turned around and said, that's not true, to the statement that without God, there is no such thing as moral values. Well, of course, you know, you have to believe something like that. You have to just tell yourself that um, you can, there is a, a way of having moral uh, values when there's no God, because people can't live that way. You know, people can't live uh, as uh, sociopaths, basically. That's the ultimate um, result of atheism, because in reality, since there's no meaning to life and there's no uh, lawgiver, there's no one to make the standards of right and wrong, then really there is no basis of right and wrong. And that just, you know, it rubs people the wrong way. So they try to live as an atheist and still borrow the moral values from other, you know, cultures like the Christian culture. Yeah, so it's very interesting because God is the ultimate lawgiver, and he is the total basis and standard for what is right and wrong, starting with the original Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, ultimately, if there is no difference between right and wrong, and it's all gray areas in this more relativistic mindset, mm-hmm. um, what difference is there between a Hitler, let's say, and the Mother Teresa in their lives? And ultimately, what will it mean when, right. they, when, they, when they de- they're dead? Right. Yeah, to say that something is wrong because it's for, forbidden by a law-giving God, that is perfectly understandable. You know, that makes sense. But to say that something is wrong without having a God who for, forbids it is not really understandable. I mean, who, uh, to who do you have the obligation to do something right? If there's no God there, there's no lawgiver, you don't have any obligation so the concept of moral obligation is really unintelligible without God. You know, and if you want to take this argument one step further, Keith, here's a tough one for them to grapple with. You know, the moral relativists, mm-hmm. uh, because of their mindset, they would have a difficult time condemning war. They'd have a difficult time condemning oppression, uh, calling crimes as evil, or on the opposite side of that spectrum— praising love or praising brotherhood uh, or talking about equality as a good thing. Yeah, there, yeah, there is no real way to improve. You know, there is uh, Luther and Gandhi, um, you know, they're, in a sense, they're automatically wrong because they're standing up against, say, the culture. So let's say you get your moral values from the culture. Okay, well, Luther and Gandhi stood up against their cultures. So what does that make them? It makes them wrong. So, so you know, the, the, without God, there really is only personal or culturally relative uh, subjective judgments. Those are the only kinds of judgments that are possible. So there's no, no meaning, no value, but there's also no purpose without God. Uh, without God, there's really no goal, no, no purpose for which the universe exists. So, you know, there's, man's kind of lost in this uh, indifferent, uh, oblivious universe mm. without any kind of purpose. Right. So in this universe without God, there's clearly no hope, there's no purpose. Um, and if this is true of the universe, mm-hmm. then it has to be true of men 
individually who embrace this mindset. That's right. That's right. Because without God, man is simply a, you know, like a freak of nature or just, you know, this product of blind uh, chance, time, matter, uh, over a long period of time, it's just an accident. Right. That's, that's all that any person is. It's almost like a miscarriage. It was an accident. Right. It was created and then aborted, and boom, you got a miscarriage. Now, so here man is um, mm-hmm. um, having to try to be, uh, explain his behavior in a variety of ways. Right. And so this, this comes down to the fathers of psychology and sociology. Yeah, uh, what, what did the atheists say about right and wrong? Yeah, they said, you know, for instance, psychology, Freud. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Your behavior is a function of, of rep- repressed sexual tendencies. Right. Of course, that's the whole basis of Freudian psychology. And if you look at the sociological arguments of the, uh, the big shots, uh, uh, Skinner and Russell and so forth, they say that all choices are determined by conditioning. Okay, freedom is just an illusion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and or biological man, and and I love this quote, and this is from uh, Francis Crick, one of the co-discoverers of DNA in 1954. He's one of the guys that discovered that it was a double helix, uh, and consequently modern genetics was born in 1954 coming forward. But he said this, man is an electrochemical machine that you can alter by altering, or you can control it by altering the genetic code. So we now clearly have... Uh, models in the laboratory whereby man can alter the genetic code and hopefully cure some of the genetic diseases that plague the human race, or in an evolutionary concept, time and the environment alter the genetic code. Mm -hmm. But we know that it's a little bit more complex than that. And I've I've always said that DNA is the thumbprint of God. So, so there are these various ways of trying to explain behavior, but none of them result in any ultimate uh, purpose. So uh, if you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And if you'd like to join in the conversation, challenge us maybe, you can call in at 609-398-1020 and remember to check us out on evidenceforfaith.com. Well, we have to consider the gravity then of the alternatives that face the uh, atheist. Uh, without God, there is, um, or well, without God, there's no hope for man. With God, there is. Without God, there's only despair. Um, you know, majority of the people um, really don't understand the implications. They they continue on without really fully thinking through these considerations. You know, yeah. they accept atheism because maybe it's um, personally convenient to them. Yeah, there's no conviction, there's no condemnation, and consequently they just go through their lives like hamsters on a wheel. Um, and the problem is that um, Nietzsche even predicted that ultimately people would realize the implications of their atheism and yeah. the convenience that it offers them in the day-to-day living without conviction or guilt or mm-hmm. shame, mm-hmm. but ultimately the realization that there's life without meaning is going to be this big bombshell that finally explodes in their brain, pretty much the same as the caller that we had on earlier in the show. Right. She right. found no ultimate purpose. She was living in darkness and despair and uh, came to a realization that her friend 
was leading her in the right direction because she was living a life filled with hope and meaning. Yep, yep. And Nietzsche tells a, a story uh, that kind of describes this. He calls it the the madman, the story of the madman who uh, lights a lantern in the middle of the day and comes out to a crowd of typical atheistic uh, people, and he says he's looking for God. And then they start teasing him, you know, where, where maybe God has gone away on a journey, you know, and on and on. And uh, he expounds the this madman, then starts saying, you know, you don't realize how serious this is. I'll tell you where God is. God is dead, and we've murdered him, meaning, you know, that culturally we've adopted atheism mm. and essentially murdered God. And you don't understand that this is like unleashing the earth from its orbit around the sun. You know, we're just headed to ultimate doom and destruction, and no one seems to understand what this madman is talking about. And so he smashes his lantern to the ground, and he says, I've come too soon. You know, they these people just don't understand what's going on. But he yeah. predicted mm. that one day they would, that there would be this... Uh, nihilistic worldview, and which Mm. basically nihilism is the belief in nothing. Mm. You know, no God, no morals, and that it would result in uh, an incredible, uh, an incredibly destructive way of living. And what happened? The 20th century was the bloodiest century in human history. More people murdered by atheistic regimes than had ever died in the history of the earth for, uh, say, religious wars or some some kind of competing uh, philosophy. Uh, one calculation that I, I saw was in the 20th century, 170 million people were slaughtered by only 52 atheists. And these would include the people like Hitler, Stalin, Stalin, Pol Pot, yep. uh, and so forth. Mao, yep. on and on. Well, just count 52 of them. So when you look at uh, the world in a nihilistic mindset, you have the destruction of all meaning and value in life. And, you know, even if you look uh, on the home front, just watch the 6 o'clock news, mm-hmm. and you can see what's going on. Who shot who? Who robbed this? Who who raped that? And who burned down so-and-so's business? It's... Uh, and the ingredients are always the same. So the atheist has to ask himself this question that that Nietzsche's uh, madman asked: How then can we comfort ourselves? Right? There, there are only uh, the only solution for atheists is to face the absurdity of life bravely. You know, kind of face it and kind of live valiantly anyway. Uh, you know, this is something that Bertrand Russell discussed, the philosopher Bertrand Russell. His solution was, you know, you just have to come to terms with life, realizing that the world is a terrible place, and face it and live life anyways. Now, right. it turns out Bertrand Russell was a really a terrible person. He believed that the world was a terrible place. He was personally a terrible person. He one of the things he did is he was staying at his best friend's house and he seduced his best friend's underage daughter. 
why not? Right? He's an atheist. There, there are no rules. There are no morals. Life is a terrible place. Just live it. And that was his viewpoint. Well, Keith, uh, you said that Bertrand Russell was a terrible individual, but who are you to judge? Yeah, that's right. In atheism, yeah, there's no, there's no, uh, no morals to judge by. He was just doing whatever he wanted to. He was fulfilling his self, right? Self actualization. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's interesting <laughs> because one of the comments that you'll get in anybody who's uh, part of this mindset, uh, they throw at you immediately. Who are you to judge? Well, I, I am an individual who's 54 years old, and I've been around the block a few times. I know what's good and what's not. Right. You're a, you're a morally discerning agent. You ought to be able to judge. Correct. Yeah. And the, the whole problem that we have in today's society is this whole concept of oughtness. What ought we do? Mm-hmm. And they'll argue things that really have no real moral basis, and uh, they're in a dilemma. You know, we know what we ought to do. You should do the right thing. Well, who are you to judge? And and it's this whole battle that goes on and on and on. Yep. You know, Albert Camus came to the conclusion that you had to honestly recognize life's absurdity and then try to live out your life in love. Yeah, which does not make any sense in his view, right? Well, where does where does he get the idea that love is morally valuable? Well, I think Bertrand Russell had the idea. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a sexual love, right? <laughs> exactly. So this is the problem of atheism, that it's impossible to live consistently and happily within this framework of this worldview. You, you can have either or. Either you can live consistently with atheism and be unhappy, or you can live happily but inconsistent, not according to the dictates of atheism. Right, so, so it's it's an either-or, but not a both um, right. type of a, a situation. You know, the, the interesting model, Keith, that we can use to sort of define uh, this whole um, uh, concept mm-hmm. uh, is Schaefer's model of this two-story universe, or let's call it a two-story house, just for conceptual reasons. And Francis Schaefer, I recommend him to anybody out there. Terrific reading. Yeah. Fabulous guy, philosopher who died uh, a couple decades ago. Yeah. So anyway, looking at Schaefer's model of this uh, two-story universe or this two-story house, the upper story had meaning and value Mm -hmm. and purpose. Mm -hmm. In life, you'd always take the high road so that you had meaningful insights, um, that you had uh, value-added uh, services and and everything else that would make it a, a good and proper way to live, right? And that you purposed to live a moral and good life, mm-hmm. uh, and hence it gave itself meaning all the way through. The lower story, on the other hand, was this this life without God, in a finite world, this absurd life that happened by chance, life without meaning, purpose, direction, etc. You're just basically a hamster on a wheel, uh, going through life and right. doing what you had to do to survive. Well. If you look at the modern man concept that we're talking about, this mm-hmm. this enlightened model that was promoted by the Enlightenment right. uh, without God, you have modern man living in this lower-story home or this lower-story two-tiered universe without any belief in God, but you know what? He can't stay there yeah. consistently and happily right. because he realizes the absurdity of it all, and consequently he makes leaps of faith into the upper level right. of this home or this universe. Uh, to affirm that life does have some meaning or some value or some purpose. But you know what? He has no right to go there, because without God and without the value systems and the right and wrong that are imparted by a God, 
of the universe. Mm-hmm. He has really no no privilege to be there. He's an uninvited guest. Right. Okay. Right. So that's so, the that's the criteria that that atheists have. They're stuck. Yes. They're stuck on this first level that you're talking about, or this first story. Right. They Without then have yeah. So they have to make a leap of faith that you know that they criticize so much in other people having faith. They're forced to do that if they want to have some kind of meaning in their life. But you know what? I, I said that they're an uninvited guest. In the Christian model, they are invited. Come as you are. Come as you are, as soiled and dirty and hopeless wreck uh, that you are. Come in. And you don't have to make a blind leap of faith because uh, there is there is real meaning and real purpose in the universe because God does exist. Right. So let's talk about some of the arguments against atheism. And the first is this whole idea that without God, life really does have no ultimate meaning, and yet the atheistic philosophers continue on as though it did. Mm. They have to continue on because they have no other choice, right? Yeah, Sartre is is an example. Um, he creates meaning for life by choosing certain courses of action, uh, and in his own life, he chose Marxism, which I found kind of odd, but he right. needed a framework within which to operate and live. Yeah, Marxism is utterly inconsistent, uh, you know, with saying that that life is objectively meaningless, with Sartre said. So, and then to say that someone can create meaning... You know, by being a Marxist? But but he had to, because his mm-hmm. life had no meaning, and he was searching for something that would give him meaning without him necessarily believing in God. And Marx seemed to have the right uh, answers. And oddly enough, was was written after uh, Karl Marx obviously did his writing after the Enlightenment. So he was one of those giants who still, rule, still rules people's minds from the grave, just like uh, Charles Darwin. Right. And it, and it's sad to say, but... Um, so it just winds up being an exercise in self-delusion. Self-delusion, exactly. You know? and, and here's the other thing. You know, if, if atheism is actually true, and that you have a universe without God, um, and, of course, there's objectively meaningless life, uh, no matter how we regard it, but man cannot live consistently within this framework. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to pretend... Life has meaning to be happy. Right. And this this pretension is totally inconsistent with their philosophy. So that becomes then an argument against atheism. Exactly. So another argument then is that without God, uh, since without God life has no value, um, here's where there are really uh, blatant inconsistencies uh, lie, because it's it's logically incompatible to hold to this atheistic humanism on one hand and ethics of love and brotherhood on the other. it's They just don't go together. Right. And if there is no God, objective right and wrong don't exist. We've mm-hmm. already uh, mentioned that. But everything in man cries out against wrongs, such as genocides and slaughters and, and, and all of the things that happened in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. So what they have to do is make a blind leap of faith to this upper story to affirm their values anyway. Right. But man cannot live with the horror of a world without any value. No. And again, he's jumping up into that second story. Uh, to where, get away. Well, he has to. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, you know, and, 
and that the world is truly horrible, you know, one only has to think of things like the Holocaust mm. and the true brutality of man um, that's been demonstrated, you know. So without God, then our entire world is in Auschwitz. Yeah, you, you know, know I, I listened to William Lane Craig talk about uh, uh, Auschwitz because he, he actually had a chance to interview a, a surviving rabbi of Auschwitz who talked about the horrors, just the utter brutality and inhumanity that was exercised during the, uh, in those camps. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he said, which was so profound, uh, this Jewish rabbi, survivor of the Holocaust, said that it was almost as if the Ten Commandments were reversed— you know, one through four have to do with man's relationship with God, and they were totally reversed. Do not love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Do not go to church. Say, take the Lord's name in vain. I mean, it was all the reversals right. of everything that we knew. Yeah, kill, steal. Yeah, and then and then five through ten are how you live horizontally with people, your family, and so mm-hmm. forth. And it was murder, commit adultery, steal, covet your, your neighbor's wife, and so forth. It was just a total reversal of everything. Mm-hmm. And he said that Auschwitz was going to be a microcosm of what this world would eventually become, because without God, you have a complete reversal of the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And Nietzsche tried to get around this problem by saying that you have to live beyond good and evil. You have to live as though there is no such thing. It's kind of a Eastern mystical view of life. There's no good or evil. But he himself could not keep that. He broke, he had a men, uh, mentor, uh, Wagner, uh, who was a strident uh, German nationalist and, and anti-Semite. And mm. Nietzsche broke with him. He did not think that that was morally acceptable. So he himself could not live beyond good and evil. So this is, uh, you know, evidence that atheism is false. Right, and, and likewise, Sartre uh, also condemned anti-Semitism because it was a doctrine that was only going to lead to the extermination of, of people, mm-hmm. not only their opinion, but also their race. And of course, not of equal value, but it's opposite. It, it's go, it goes beyond personal taste. You know, it's a, it's a right thing, it's a wrong thing, and he knew that there was a difference between right and wrong. You know, he mm-hmm. uh, he struggled during his lifetime to elude these uh, contradictions, and, uh, but couldn't. Yeah, but he couldn't. That's exactly. Right. So, without God, all evil acts go unpunished. All good sacrifices go unrewarded. You know, there and and you know, we could go on and on. I don't. I don't think we need to spend. We've got maybe five minutes left. I don't know that we need to. Um, go to all the possible examples we could give of some of the altruistic um, ways that people have sacrificed themselves to help others, and we automatically know this as a good thing. So, um, and yet, if God's not there, then it doesn't mean anything. It's, it's, you know, the person who is altruistic is almost stupid, Mm. Right? So, Keith, what, what is the opposite side of the coin? What about the Christian worldview? What yeah, is, let's talk what, about that for a while. Okay. You know, biblical Christianity provides two conditions uh, necessary for a meaningful and valuable and purposeful life. It provides God, that God exists, but also that immortality. 
Because even with God, if your life is just a flash in the pan and you, you have this one life and you cease to exist, then still really how can you say how meaningful can that life have been? Uh, you know, if there's no afterlife. Sure. So, so, so if you have God and, you've, and if you have this promise of, of eternal life or immortality, with these two items in hand, man can live both consistently and happily. Right. And the Bible affirms this. Right. You know, life is ultimately significant. You know, you have knowledge of God, and that's the eternal life, being with God forever. Mm-hmm. And this is fulfillment for the human existence and what, was ma- what man was made for in the first place. Right. To know God and to worship God. Exactly. That's, that's your first four commandments. And then there, there's also the issue of moral values, right? Where do they come from? Are moral values the kinds of thing that God just proclaimed just arbitrarily and he made stealing wrong, but he could have just as easily made stealing right. He's some some kind, you know, he's uh, like a dictator above morality, and he just decides. That seems kind of inconsistent to the atheist. Or let's flip that around and say, well, maybe God has to obey these rules too, right? God can't lie, God can't steal, because these are ultimate rules of the universe that are even over God, then God's really not in control, in a sense, it's as if these laws are. But Christianity has a different look at this problem, this this uh, conundrum. Christianity says that moral values come from who God is, from his nature, that lying is wrong because it's against God's nature himself mm. to lie. So you have the strong development of moral values who are that are rooted in the nature of God himself and his commands are equal to uh, the moral duties mm. that man has so we actually have moral choices that in the long term give us a uh, an eternal significance right because we do eventually have to meet with the Creator for all things done and not done whether good or bad mm-hmm. and the crowns will be given to us accordingly. Yeah, God is going to hold people accountable for their moral choices. Mm. What did they do, right and wrong? Right. One of the things that I share with people all the time is that we all go to heaven. The only problem is that not everybody's going to be invited to stay. (laughs) That's right. You're going to go to heaven for judgment. Yes. You know, and, and, uh, you know, there, there are only two types of religion. You know, it's the sheep and the goats. The sheep understand it, and they hear Jesus' words, and they hear him calling and the goats don't. The goats are not going to be invited. So Christianity provides also a purpose in life. It provides ultimate meaning, it provides moral values, but it also provides a purpose. And that is that God wants us to be in relationship with him. He is creating creatures who can spend eternity with him in a loving relationship. That is what the purpose of the entire universe is. Just take those old directions out.